1898, Marie and Pierre Curie discovered radium, the 88th element on the periodic table. Quacks of various sorts soon attributed all sorts of magical benefits to the new and radioactive element. Radium started showing up in toothpaste, hair creams, and food products, with manufacturers claiming it could cure all manner of ills. Radium also had the unusual property of glowing in the dark, and by the early 1900s, radium was used for industrial applications like watch faces. Far from curing illness, we now know that radium in fact causes radiation poisoning, as the young women painting watch faces at the United States Radium Corporation in New Jersey and the Radiant Dial Company in Illinois eventually found out, much to their detriment. Kate Moore's new book, Radium Girls, covers the tragic and influential story of these women. Kate Moore joins us now by phone, where I understand she's on vacation in Corfu. Thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to the 8 o'clock bus. Thank you so much. So uh, who were the Radium Girls, and, and how did they come to work for these companies? So the Radium Girls were literally just ordinary girls. So most of them were really young, um, teenagers. Records show that actually some of them were as young as 11, but most of them were around sort of 14 to 18 years of age. And the Radium Girls were dial painters. They were employed to paint those glowing numbers with radium paint on watches, on clocks, and on aeronautical dials. And most of them started work either just before or during the First World War, where obviously there was a boom in glow-in-the-dark products because, you know, the war was happening and people needed dashboards that could be seen at night. And so these young women, most of them from immigrant or poor working-class families, were recruited to this job, and which they, you know, did their bit for the war effort. And now, obviously, if, if they were working as lo- young as 11, this was before the U.S. had a lot of uh, child labor laws, but there weren't really weren't a lot of workplace safety laws at the time either. No, and it was very much sort of uh, a, a time when, um, you know, that sort of legislation either just didn't exist or was very, very limited. So, um, you know, I know, for example, in New Jersey, they had just, started bringing in occupational, you know, hazard law and that sort of thing, but it was restricted to just nine conditions. So if you if you were poisoned or if you were, you know, injured at work and it wasn't one of those nine conditions, you did not get a penny, basically. So that's the kind of era that we're talking about here. Now, you start the book with uh, a story of Catherine Schaub uh, heading half, happily off to work at U.S. Radium in uh, 1917. Mm-hmm. And I was struck by how rich the detail was in that narrative. How did you find out so much about the lives of Catherine and her fellow dial painters? I think basically it was a a passion project for me. So I was just, I fell in love with these women and, you know, wanted to find out every detail of their lives. So I tried to find out everything I could. I tracked down diaries, letters, you know, personal correspondence, and also a whole swathe of court testimonies and newspaper interviews that the women gave while while they were alive. So when you read that opening chapter where Catherine is walking to work, you can hear from her, you know, in her own words, how she got the job, 
um, you know, what it was like to work there, who trained her, you know, the sort of camaraderie between the girls. Um, you know, one of the tragedies of this story is to hear from these young women like Catherine how excited the girls were to become dial painters, how lucky they thought they were to work with this miraculous substance that you described just at the top of this piece, you know, this wondrous you know, wonder element that was put in everything, you know, um, cosmetics and drugs and, you know, all sorts of things. And the women were so excited to, to, to work there. And of course, it wasn't all the happy-go-lucky and, you know, glowing golden job that all the women thought it was. And of course, Catherine herself is able to tell us about that through those sources I discovered. And as the book continues, you hear from other women and from Catherine herself about the journey that the Radium Girls go on. Now, in 1917, why was this kind of work considered women's work? Was it just that there weren't men available because of the war effort? Or was there something about this that that people thought this was the kind of work women should be doing? It, It was a solely female job, actually, dial painting. And I think that's because of um, it was very, very detailed handiwork that they had to do. You know, the numbers, if you think of a, uh, a sort of wristwatch um, or a pocket watch, uh, you know, the dial is tiny. Now imagine the stroke of the one uh, on a number and the women had to precisely, you know, make that number glow in the dark with their brushes. And... It was partly, I think, because of that, that's partly why women were employed, because they needed small hands. Again, I think this is why teenagers were often employed as well. And the other thing to mention, of course, about their work is because it was so precise, because they could not go over those, you know, delicate parameters, the women were taught a technique called lip pointing. And that means that Catherine and her fellow radium girls were taught to put their paintbrushes between their lips to make a fine point. Now remember, they're working with radioactive radium paint. But even when the women asked, you know, does this stuff hurt you? Is it safe to put the brushes in our mouths? The company assured them that it was. Was there evidence at that time that it might not be? Or how long did it take before uh, people started to realize that radium was dangerous? Well, that's almost a million-dollar question, and the answer is there was evidence that it wasn't safe, and my book, uh, The Radium Girls, actually opens with a prologue which is dated 1901, uh, so that's 16 years before Catherine is heading to work, and it opens with a scientist receiving a radiation burn from radium. So even from the turn of the century, it was established that radium was a destructive force, but people realized quite quickly that it had, um, you know, positive benefits as well. So even today, it's used to treat cancer. And it was used at that time to treat cancer with miraculous results as well. And so people wanted to harness that power. And so the companies who were exploiting this new wonder element thought, well, okay, we know a large amount is dangerous. Perhaps if we only use a small amount, we can harness that power and it won't be dangerous. So when the women were assured that it was safe, that was partly because the companies were choosing to believe their own research that a small amount was safe. But of course, as as we now know, even a tiny amount of a radioactive substance is not at all safe. And that's certainly what the radium girls discovered as the years progressed. And and, and meanwhile, even early on, they're literally glowing in the dark. 
Yes, I mean, this was another reason why the women considered themselves lucky because they used to get covered in the glow from the paint. So they were mixing their own paint, a powdered radium combined with water and an adhesive substance. And so just as when you're in the restroom and you're putting talcum powder on, it was a similar thing. The radium powder would cover these women head to toe. And people who studied them said, you know, the, the powder even got into their skin. It could not be removed even after vigorous washing. And so these women glowing with this shining, luminous substance were themselves nicknamed the ghost girls because when they walked home through the dark streets of New Jersey and Illinois, they would literally be glowing in the dark, just like the watches that they painted, because they themselves were covered in it. And one of the sort of charming and yet horrifying anecdotes that I found in my research for the book was that uh, Catherine Dunahue, who is a, an Illinois girl, she said she and her friends used to wear their good dresses to their plant, uh, you know, their party frocks because they liked the fact that they would glow in the dark. So when they went out to the music halls and the speakeasies, the radium girls would be the ones shining and shimmering with this glowing substance, and they would deliberately wear their party frocks so that they could have that glow when they went out after work. Now, this, this glow started to uh, take a sour turn. When did, they start to, when did these women start to suffer health effects, and how long did it take before they attributed it to the radium? Well, it, it, it was years before they properly started to get sick, and that was almost one of the problems with unraveling this medical mystery. And it was a mystery at the time, because as I say, the sort of received wisdom of the age was that a small amount of radium wouldn't do you any harm. And so as the women started to get sick, which happened, it, it varied from woman to woman, but let's say around five years after they'd first started working with the radium, that's obviously a very long time after they're sort of first exposed to it. So many of the radium girls were no longer dial painters at that time. They'd moved on to other jobs. They'd left work and married and had children, for example. And the other thing was that the symptoms seem so innocent as well. They just have a sort of aching foot or it might be a sore tooth. And so the women didn't really think anything of it at first. But the thing about radium poisoning is that it is a poisoning that takes over your entire body and cannot be eliminated from the human body. Once it's in you, it is in there for good and it keeps on emanating that destructive radioactive power. So that aching tooth that a woman might first experience about five years after her first expo exposure soon became not just one aching tooth, but two. And she'd go to the dentist and have them pulled, but that didn't solve it. The next tooth would start to hurt, and the next tooth, and the next tooth, until she didn't have to go to the dentist anymore, because her teeth would literally fall out. And it was just this horrifying poisoning. You know, if it wasn't in your mouth, it was in your back or your foot. And what was happening was the radium was destroying the women from the inside out. But as I say, they all had different symptoms. This is years after they were working there. And so it took years for anyone to actually pay attention. And one of the things that was really striking to me in doing the research for the book and following the story of the radium girls 
was to realize that it was partly the women themselves who kind of got together among their friendship networks and said, you know, well, you might have a sore knee and I've got a sore back, but it's the same thing, you know, how can we all be sick? You know, these are now, those teenage dial painters are now young women in their early 20s. They shouldn't be getting arthritis. You know, they shouldn't have their teeth falling out. You know, this is peculiar and horrifying, but the only connection is their work. And for me, what was so striking about these strong women is the way it was them who identified there was a problem, who realized that something had to be done, and then they tried to get together and to make things happen, not only for themselves, but to protect other workers and other women who were still being hurt. Now, eventually, these, uh, the, these health effects led to uh, lawsuits against some of the corporations. How did that come about, and why were these suits uh, historically significant? Well, again, it took a long time because, um, you know, anyone who who is familiar with this kind of thing, you know, an occupational poisoning where, as you say, there might be lawsuits, you know, the company very quickly, you know, battens down the hatches and actually, you know, to read the story of the Radium Girls is to read examples of egregious corporate greed that quite literally make your jaw drop. You can't believe anyone would be that callous to these, you know, crippled young women who are facing death, and it's obvious that it's their work. Um, You know, medical experts are proving that it's their work, but they still deny it. And because of that, you know, actually it takes the Radium Girls a long time to find a lawyer, but they were determined to do it. And the reason they're so historically significant, as as you've asked the question, is because this was one of, you know, the groundbreaking landmark legal cases in this field. You know, the case of the Radium Girls was one of the first cases where an employer was held responsible for the health of their employees. And the Radium Girls sort of paved the way, uh, you know, decades down the line for organizations such as OSHA, uh, you know, which protects thousands of people now. You know, I think since OSHA was set up, they protected about 10,000 people every year from work-related illness and injury. And, you know, the Radium Girls are at the very forefront uh, of that legacy. One of the things I thought was interesting is that you drew a, a parallel between, uh, you know, these uh, young women and, and girls, and frankly, uh, you know, accurately, were uh, exposed as a result largely to the run-up of World War One. And when World War II comes around and people start working on the Manhattan Project, they start taking radiation sickness much more seriously. Uh, was there a direct connection there, you think, to the Radium Girls? Yes, and, and that's, that's documented, actually, the, the direct link. So, you know, my Radium Girls that I'm writing about, as you said, you know, they're, they're starting work in the, in the First World War, and so these sicknesses and these lawsuits that we're talking about are happening in the 1920s and 1930s. And so by the time the Second World War happens, you know, people are aware of this. You know, we've now largely forgotten the story of the Radium Girls, which is partly why I've written the book. But um, at the time, you know, they had been front-page news. And there is a diary entry of one of the leading scientists on the Manhattan Project, Glenn Seaborg. And he wrote in his diary that after making a sort of round of his laboratory one evening, he had a vision of the ghost girls, of the radium girls. And he remembered what had happened to those dial painters in the First World War. And he knew that they'd been working with radioactive uh, elements. And he knew that even though they were using different elements on the atomic bomb, it was very likely, probable, that 
similar biochemical properties may have been involved in the radioactive substances. And so thanks to the radium girls, Seaborg insisted that they conducted research to find out if the link was there. It was. And because of that, they insisted on safety standards for the workers of the Manhattan Project. And so, you know, all of those workers who were working to win the war were protected because of the sacrifice of the radium girls. All right. We've been speaking with author Kate Moore. Kate will read from her new book, Radium Girls, and answer questions at the Wisconsin Book Festival in room 302 of the Madison Central Library this Friday, October 12th at 7.30 p.m. Kate Moore, thank you so much for joining us on the 8 o'clock buzz. Thank you.